Hello all and thank you again for joining Windy City Bropen. My name is Zach Engelbrecht with co-host Jim Granick. Jim, how you doing? Hey man, I'm doing good. It's good to be back here on the mic again. Once, once again, we've got quite a bit to talk about. Absolutely. I just want to say thank you to everyone who's been liking and sharing and following it. it really, we do appreciate it. We're not on all platforms yet. It does mean a lot. This isn't easy. Uh, we've re-recorded the intro to this about five times now. And me and Jim have just been laughing back and forth. We also wanted to give a special thanks out to our buddy, Nay. Uh, he works with Fish and Wildlife. He actually helped some people save them from a boat that was actually about to burst up into flames. So I wanted to keep it pretty general, but wanted to say thank you to Nay. I'm hoping that he's listening to this and, and thank you, man. You're out there doing big things. Yeah, thank you, Nay. That it seriously takes a special kind of person to want to put their life on the line for others to help people out. Uh, so that's a really awesome thing that you did. Yeah, I know we're sitting here behind a mic, so it's kind of hard to it's hard to really relate to a guy who's jumping on a boat that's on fire. He also helped with the floods in Houston, so it's you know someone who's constantly helping. So thank you, we appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, thank you, Nay. Seriously, you're a good dude. And moving on to uh, some other topics. Last night finished one of the biggest things to hit quarantine since Joe Exotic, The Last Dance. Jim, how do you feel about it? Oh, wow. Uh, so many emotions. So many emotions. Um, obviously, for you and I, uh, we're both 29 years old. So we're really only remembering the last two championships at best. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's bits and pieces. But something that really just stuck out to me that was just probably the funniest thing of the whole docuseries is after Jordan beat the Pacers, him and Larry Bird are meeting in the hallway. And he says, he says something, and then he says, uh, you a bitch, fuck you, and walks <laughs> away from him, which kind of really just epitomizes that Jordan Magic Bird era. And mm. that's, just, that's just how those guys were. You wouldn't catch that in today's game. So you're, you know, today's game, they're probably talking about where their next golf trip is or when their next vacation mm. is together. So to hear Jordan say that to him, it's just typical Jordan. I mean, that's Jordan from to a T. That's just that's his mentality. Even Bird's, he's in the front office now for the Pacers. He's not even playing, but Jordan still <laughs> kind of goes at him like that. Still I just chirping. thought that was classic Jordan. He just really just went after him. I'm glad they got that on camera because it it truly reflects that era of basketball. And there was no hard feelings. Like look at how Larry Bird reacted. He just smiled and laughed as he wow. walked away. He he knew it. He knew it. He got Jordan early in Jordan's career. Jordan was just kind of, that was the last time that it was going to be Jordan versus Bird, really. And Jordan got the better of Bird that time. Does that really epitomize Jordan, though? Like, if you got him, he was going to get you back 10 times more. I mean, is that not a Game 7 mentality, Jordan? We never got to see it in the finals. But could you imagine what him in Game 7 of a finals would have been like in that particular Game 7? He's the most cutthroat guy. And I think that's what... That, that's what really needs to be expressed. Anytime anybody wants to talk about who is the GOAT compared to Jordan, it's all about the mentality. Jordan was – he was a cold-blooded killer. And even to that level, the next closest person to me is Kobe. It's not even LeBron. Mentality-wise. Yeah, LeBron doesn't have that Kobe mentality, and you can see a lot of similarities between Jordan and Kobe. But to go back to what you're saying about – Jordan is that's just him he he always expected the most out of his teammates and like Will Purdue said 
he was an asshole. But if you all reflected on the whole experience, he was probably the best teammate you could ever ask for. He wanted you to be as good as he was. He knew you were never, there's only one Michael Jordan. He knew you're never going to be as good as him. But if he could get you to play at your absolute best and strive for the most, he was going to do it. He had, he knew what it took to get you there. And if you weren't going to get there, then you weren't the right player on that team. That's why I love the end of episode seven. I, I think that was probably the best. And still now after watching it, the whole series, the whole docu-series, you get past episode 10, you, you feel all warm and fuzzy. You're a little upset because you're, it's the end of a show that really has fueled us the last month. But it's unbelievable how much you could feel that ending right as he said break, what he must have been thinking in terms of pulling and pushing and, and working his teammates like that and trying to get the most out of it. I can't believe like that kind of raw emotion is what we got out of Michael Jordan. Is that something that you've kind of resonated a little bit with? His mentality. I mean, you take a look at how he pushed on to a Scott Burrell and he was just on him, on him, on him. It was always a constant back and forth. And at the end of the day, it mattered, I think, for that guy. He came up, had a big game in the playoffs yeah. against the Nets, I believe it was. I just think on a, a overall level, for Jordan to hold you to that standard, I think it brings the most out of a player. I mean, you went to blows with Steve Kerr. Yeah. And and Steve Kerr's – isn't he the best three-point shooter? Steve Kerr, I, I, I don't know maybe if that's just – out of sight, out of mind type deal, but did not know he was a career. You want to read off the stat for me there? I guess I'll on your side. It's 45%. Yeah, he, he's, I mean, he was an incredible shooter. The best three-point shooter by percentage, probably with a minimum of, I think, X amount of shots. Fortunately, that didn't come with the stat that I got it. What does that say about his current status in the NBA? He's got three titles as a coach now, and his team is consistently the best three-point shooting team in the NBA. In regards to Steve Kerr, I think it's kind of nuts that, yeah, you talk about someone who percentage-wise was the greatest three-point shooter over a duration of time. And then now you look at the way the league's kind of turned to, you get to more three-point faceted offenses. Everyone's geared up to have three, four, five guys who could all shoot the three-pointer consistently. I think it's kind of crazy that the team that pioneered that happens to also be coached by one of the greatest living three-point shooters out there. Obviously, the impact from the Bulls in just that respect, you know, just of where Kerr ended up playing into in the greater atmosphere of basketball today, that kind of speaks for itself. And that's just a small piece of that team. I mean, even Scott Burrell, like, you know, he got made fun of a lot in the films with between Jordan and him back and forth. He was a guy who actually was one of the better defensive rating players on the team. He logged over a thousand minutes that season. So obviously someone who went out there and played and and it was a contributing factor. So you know, I think it's kind of cool all the little side stories you get with a story like this. Oh, for sure. I think, and just this is just another side story to the whole thing, is a guy that was on the first three-peat and someone that I think off the top of your head you're thinking should have been mm-hmm. somewhere in this docuseries and a guy that wasn't in it at all. We've double-checked ourselves here. Stacy King. Stacy King did not have one single segment in this whole docuseries. That is unbelievable how, to think about. Yeah, how do you how do you how do you leave Stacy King out? Until you brought that up to me today, I had zero clue of it. It totally slipped my mind. I can't believe that this docuseries wasn't given a little bit of the hot sauce, you know? 
That's what, crazy because he's, he, he's the announcer. He was part of all those title teams. I guess Neil Funk was interviewed, and, and he wasn't actually used for any of this. So that's absolutely crazy that a staple like that. It, my mom's favorite announcer of any sport wasn't included in this. That's something that totally blows my mind. Fun fact. There's a guy that you would have just figured he would have been in just – not only just because he's been a Bulls TV announcer, but he was a part of that 3 P. He's got three rings on his fingers because he was part of those teams. He was I'm not saying he's an integral part of the first 3 P. He had some solid minutes there. It wasn't as if he was just a guy on the bench. I mean, he, he played about 15 minutes a game, so he was no slouch. Blows your mind that he, he wasn't interviewed at all and such a big vocal voice for the Bulls today. Kind of shocked me that he wasn't in there. Well, let's, uh, we got a couple other things here we wanted to touch on with The Last Dance. We got some uh, CBS sports grades that were released. I'm going to read them off. You tell me how you feel about them. Um, and obviously, we're going to be a little biased, Chicago natives, but they had nostalgia rated as an A. What do you think? I, for me, I'd have given it an A+, plus, but that's just takes you back to those <laughs> times all, huh? when you're set. Yeah, I mean, you're just seven, eight years old. That's kind of where that whole thing takes me back is Jordan was one of my first sports memories mm. between Jordan and wrestling. Those were the two, two first real memories. Jordan went in against the Jazz and, oddly enough, Dennis Rodman in the NWO. <laughs> and until last night, I had no idea that Dennis Rodman just left the Bulls in the middle of the last dance finals here and joined up with Hulk Hogan. Name one other remember. person. Carl uh, Malone, because he was with Diamond Dallas Page like later on after the fact. So to me, that was I, – I never knew it. I guess I just thought it was kind of all part of that era. Is that the hot streak of all hot streaks, though? I saw people talking about it. I mean, to win an NBA Finals game, you then ditch practice, play hooky, you go join the NWO, and then you take home Carmel Electra. Dennis Rodman, looking back now, he was living his best life. That is amazing. He was living his best life. The guy was free, mentally free. He just was able to be himself. Jim, he was wearing Zubazes. I I get it. I get it. The the guy was living his best life. Very important part of those Bulls teams. Very important. But, yeah, I had no idea. He just sneaks out in the middle of the finals and – chilling with Hulk Hogan, who's calling him Rodzilla. That just blows my mind in, in the time frame because, like I said at the beginning, we're both 29 years old, born in 91. Mm-hmm. Our first real memories of the Bulls are the last two championships yeah, for the so. most part. So that's kind of when that coincided with the WCW-NWO era. It just blows my mind that those things were going on at the same time, literally. I had no idea. It was really awesome because Dennis Rodman, to me, was always my favorite player growing up. Mm. I always thought it was the coolest thing that this guy had so many different colors of hair. I saw him with the green hair. Green was my favorite color, and that's probably what did it. And (laughs) actually, to be honest with you, when he did the uh, 33s in his hair, I do remember as a child thinking he had leopard print hair. And I thought, man, that's just, that's sweet. I wish I could do my hair like that. That's something else. Yeah. I had the Rodman jersey. I had the, the Converse's. It, Rodman was always probably my favorite player growing up. And it's it was really cool to kind of get a little insight on him 
as far as on the court, off the court. Because just as a kid, you're looking at him. Ah, oh, he just looks – to me, I thought he just – it was awesome. He had different color hair every night, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. And I looked up – I thought that was just the coolest thing as a kid. Speaking of nostalgia, did you ever have one of those uh, reversible Bulls jerseys? I did not. I just had the black with the white stripes mm-hmm. uh, Rodman jersey. That I was the, my only Bulls jersey. I had the reversible Pippin, and it was like four times too big because I'm pretty sure it was a hand-me-down from my older brother. Um, so there's the nostalgia for you. I think what kind of helped with the nostalgia was the, um, the soundtrack. I think those kind of played off each other a little bit. Any particular titles you were looking at? Feeling in that era? Oh, I just feel like the whole – from top to bottom, they had a really good soundtrack. I, I liked the one they incorporated with the Can I Kick It? That's, mm. a, that's a song I really enjoy. And they just had a lot of – they just really hit it on the head through that era as far as picking the right songs to incorporate with each – each kind of cut and scene. Each season they were playing with. Yeah, they, they really just – they did a pretty good job of piecing that all together. Um, Nostalgia-wise, it just sits the nail on the head. I think it takes – and a lot of these songs – some of these songs are older than us. Oh, uh, so for the peop- So for the folks that are a little bit older than us, they can really relate to this time and this era of MJ. They, a lot of people compared to us – they got to watch MJ from college to the pros. We really only got to see the last two to three years of MJ and then everything everyone else ever told us about his legend and how good he is and then any documentary we ever watched, anything we ever watched post, you know, post that era, that's where our MJ knowledge really comes from. We didn't get to watch this guy rise to become a superstar. We didn't get to watch him average 37, 38 points a game for seasons. We're not, we weren't really privy to that. So I think this music and incorporating the soundtrack to the era really means a lot to more people than us. Mm-hmm. But as overall, as far as the music goes, I mean, I'm not. What are you giving it? What's the grade? Oh, I've, I got to give it an A+. Plus. I thought okay. they hit the head with the songs. I just... I feel like it means more to older people, people than us. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And they, it got an ace. They threw this one in there, taking the perspectives they probably could have. Like one of the things mentioned was Jerry Krause's legacy and how they didn't really tell how great he actually was. And they kind of used him as the, the joke. The one thing that shouldn't be lost in all this is obviously Jerry Krause was a very good general manager. This organization wouldn't be what it was without him for the most part. Uh, he didn't drive Jordan, but he had a hand in pretty much every other move that helped Jordan get to where he got. You know, he traded for Scotty. But I think most important thing to remember as a Chicago fan, and we're not Sox fans, but we've also got to watch from, a, you know, across town to see how things have been done under Reinsdorf. I think that's the guy you need to remember is people want to blame Cross for this whole debacle. I think Reinsdorf is not taking enough of the blame because it's been portrayed to be like, oh, Krauss was the crazy guy. But if, if that's true, then where – and Reinsdorf was opposed to it, where was he to stop this breaking up of the team? You know, this team that made him money hand over fist, he could have he took the risk for one more chance. You know, one more time. Let's see if we can get seven. He could have done that. They had made, made more than their fair share of money. 
And I think at the end of the day, everyone wants to blame Kraus. Yeah, he wasn't the easiest guy, but Ryan starts calling the shots at the end of the day. And I think he was more than happy to sign MJ to the baseball contract when MJ oh, was course. finally pooped out. And it was just another opportunity for him. And that's why he went to Double A. He even talks about it. Double A was the only place, the next closest place that could handle all the media. And that was just another moneymaker for him. It just, yeah, you can't take any any opinion you have on Cross. You need to understand that Cross had a lot of good moves, but he was still ultimately just a puppet. Well, that's another thing that was talked about for you know Jordan's baseball career. Because while me and you can appreciate someone batting 200 in Double A and hitting a home run and, and doing some of those things that he did, you know, we could see that as a success. We know he's seeing 93, 94. And that's not easy to hit for any just general Joe Smuck off the streets, you know? Right. It takes an athlete. I think they did a good job of having a coach come in there. It was a Terry Francona. Comes in yes, sir. and tell, says, hey, with X amount of ABs, this guy could have made it. I think that adds a lot of validity, uh, validity to it. What, you know, some people still say is, hey, it was still 200. So to say he would have then just bumped up and made it to the majors without it actually being a gimmick, that's, that's a whole other thing. And a couple other spots, Gary Payton. You know, they said Jordan, you know, didn't really have a problem with him when Jordan got the last thing to say. You know, obviously the series is over, but if you go back to the stats, it's not like Jordan dominated him by any means. There wasn't like any great shooting performance that you could see, but Jordan did win. So he's going to be the one who tells the tale, right? Yeah, I think that's fair. To go to your MLB point, I think for us as baseball guys, we, we understand how hard it is to hit the baseball. In general. Just to give you, just to give you an idea... Jordan walked double-digit percent of the time in his minor league career. So that, to me, shows you that he had the eye that, you know, he was starting to see the ball better. Yeah, he has to learn how to make consistent, solid contact. But if you're taking a walk rate at that for a guy that hasn't played baseball in 14 years and then you go from high school baseball all the way to double A, that's a huge That's a huge jump. Mm-hmm. No, not – Many people could ever make that jump, and that just kind of adds to his legend for me. He was he didn't. This wasn't Bo Jackson. Don't get don't get it twisted. But MJ probably could have been a major league player. I'm, I don't know how good he would have been. He would not have been the level he is in the NBA. Mm. But he could have played. He could Better have chance if he played. started. Better chance if he started earlier. Yeah, <laughs> a couple I more would, years. Yeah, I think that you would. I think we could all say that the guy, thirty-one, not seeing a baseball for fourteen years. That's it's impressive. It's very impressive. At Carl Sandburg, uh, the junior college we went to, we actually had a kind of a similar story where a guy hadn't seen a fastball since he was fourteen. Thirty-four comes around, he decides he wants to play college baseball and smacked one over the fence at Knox's Field. So, that yeah that it does happen <laughs> everyone has a little inner mj in them i suppose yeah well i, I wasn't gonna bet on him to do it a second time and i no. think michael jordan probably had a little bit more consistently but still it can happen to me the whole baseball thing it, it was the right time for jordan he i think he was really burnt out just with the president that he had set in the nba and like they say in the docuseries, maybe it makes a little more sense now. He decided, okay, maybe maybe it's time for me to be done. I'm pretty worn out, mentally exhausted. 
It coincides with the unfortunate timing of his father. I think that Jordan was already on his way out mm-hmm. and the just to go play another sport and then get a different kind of camaraderie. They talked, they hit on it in the docuseries, just kind of how he was able to feel like he was one of the guys, like the way they treated him, they didn't treat him like he was some icon that he was. They treated him as if he was another guy. And I think Jordan just kind of needed that mm-hmm. to get that kind of breather. I, to be away from being on the spotlight all the time. What what's your next move, MJ? This, that, and the other. Being being in the spotlight can be tough on anybody. Mm-hmm. So I think the um, just just to go play baseball was a good step away for him, and it allowed him to kind of get a breather and just recollect himself. He was going through a lot at that time, and people don't really understand just the pressure that was on Jordan to be who they thought he would always be. And then you lose your dad. It just was a tough situation for him. So I, I think I relate a little more and understand more why he t- he stepped away from the game. And it wasn't all these conspiracies that the NBA had to suspend him or this, that, and the other about the gambling. I think it just was a, a human being that was just mentally and physically exhausted. And he just needed to hit the reset button. I think we all do from time to time. So it just shows you kind of the human nature of Michael Jordan. We all just see him as this guy that could do anything. But Jordan was very human in, in a lot of senses too. Do you uh, think in regards to new material, because obviously we've heard these stories before. We've, we, in some way, shape, or form, a lot of these things are, are retold versions or rehashed versions of things we've seen before or gotten highlights for. What do you think about the perspective and you know the material that was delivered? Are you happy with after 10 episodes or do you need more? Oh, we could always use a little more, but one more ring. Overall, I mean, I think that was the perfect depiction of everything. I feel like, given what we know and what what we weren't uh, privy to by living in the time, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it encompassed a lot of what was really going on. And the docu series did a good job of, okay, it's called the Last Dance. It's focusing on the '98 season but it would also draw back to stories that led us to that point. So I think it did a really good job as far as helping someone like us who only really know 97, 98 championships. It helps us understand that, okay, this is how Jordan got there. For example, the triangle offense. When it was Doug Collins, they ran the ball through MJ. Basically it was Doug Okay, we're going to get the ball to MJ. MJ's going to do his thing. Phil and Tex Winter bring in the triangle offense, which there's 30-plus outcomes on the chance to score. And Jordan, you know, he had to get used to that because he's usually the guy. He even says in the, he even said he didn't feel comfortable with Bill Cartwright taking the last shot with five seconds left. Understandable. But, but Phil was... Uh, so to speak, uh, Theo Epstein, if you will. He was seen as the numbers game, and and they showed it during the 94 season without MJ, how it just worked to perfection with that squad. Of course, you got to have your MJ to solidify that, but it showed you that offense could work. It could work. That offense probably is what allows Steve Kerr to hit that shot, ring number five. Yeah. 
I mean, if it's not for that, Jordan's not looking where he's looking likely. He's trying to make the play himself, but looks to Paxson make Paxson for pass. three. Can't Very forget John too. Paxson. Can't forget him. So, yeah, the triangle offense is what kind of sticks out to me is does – is that – is was it that big of an adjustment to helping MJ get to the rings? Because he didn't have any rings pre-triangle. So, hmm. so do you attribute – do you attribute the success to that? I think it's a culmination of things. I don't think Talent, it necessarily is. obviously coming together, too. They were not in a great spot when Jordan came about for the Bulls. So, obviously, they needed more than just him. Right. No one's ever done it just by themselves. It still has really hasn't happened. Right. There's, there's things in place all around, no matter whether it's personnel, coaching, play calling. You look at – so you have Phil – I think it's a culmination of having the greatest ever play. You've got Phil running the triangle. And then Scotty, of course, but to, to go to the three-point here, you have Horace Grant for the first three-peat. Excellent defensive player. Good post player as well. Then you go Dennis Rodman. So you got those that culmination of things where you needed you needed everything to click for this to work. Yeah. Well, but it did click. It did click, I, right? I do want to ask you, though. Okay, let me with it. When MJ came back, down in the 45, if if Jordan is in basketball shape at that point, do you think the Bulls get past the Magic and go on and win the title? Do I think the only thing was just his conditioning preventing him from taking him back? Yeah. With that number. Right. Uh I think it's probably a lot of things that add up to the end result. I don't think it's one thing per se. I think it's probably getting the gelling back with the teammates, getting in, getting the flow of the game in general. Obviously, like the athletics wise, I don't think anything, he lost anything. Like I, I would say just because you're doing different baseball oriented workouts isn't going to take away from his basketball game. He's still in some type of shape, maybe not the runner's shape. That's one thing I would look at. But I'm not going to say one thing overall contributed to you know, them not winning it that year. I think they also face good competition. You can't take away from the teams they played and lost to. I, I agree that that particular Magic team, that was a really good team. But that, that was no slouch of a team that the Bulls lost to. You're talking about a young Shaq, young Penny. The sky was the limit for that team. Nick Anderson, Horace Grant, a guy that's got championship experience leading that team. That was a really good team. Very right, good team. The right combination to face Jordan at the time. Especially sure. in the way they faced Jordan at the time. For sure. And I think it all kind of – I think the Bulls lose that series just simply because of the post play. Who did they have to match up? So you couldn't necessarily always blame MJ. But from what I've gathered, it's easy to say now, but I don't know that Jordan wins some of those championships without Rodman or Horace Grant. Those guys – seemed to matter a lot to those teams. You needed a good defensive post player, a good rebounder. I mean, Dennis was grabbing 15 boards a game his last season during the last dance. Usually translates to wins. Did the dirty jobs no one wanted to. I wonder how many of those on average were him jumping out of bounds to. Rebounds that went long that he launched into the crowd for. Knocking over popcorn and beer. Well, you saw saw his segment. They showed how much – he practiced and the way he practiced mm. with his buddy his when his buddy, his buddy would just shoot 
and he would just learn. He would learn from how the ball bounces off the rim, and it just became instinctual to him. MJ knew that there was no way he could control Dennis off the court, but he knew at the same time on the court, Dennis was one of the smarter players he's ever played with. And when he comes, when it comes to that court, Dennis is going 110% always. And you felt that a little bit too when they showed Scotty coming back. Dennis, you know, he wasn't exactly receptive to it. He needed that break that took more than 48 hours. He got away from got away from the team, and then Scotty and Jordan had to go get him. So that that just shows you, Scotty. Scotty was a personality, but he was also a very very good basketball player. Mm-hmm. And it was it was enough that the MJ pers- like the, the spotlight was on MJ and Scotty. So Dennis kind of fell into the background, but. He was also the NBA's bad boy, so to speak. So I just think it was the right culture for Rodman to fall into that helped him get – it helped him be successful with that team. That that was the perfect situation for him to go to because of his persona. Okay. You're writing episode 11, Jim. I could. What's it, what's it about? Why Stacey King wasn't in <laughs> the docuseries. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, if you really had to go down that route, another episode. I think they got a hammer home. Reinsdorf is the villain in this. <laughs> uh, seriously. You want a different you, antagonist to the story. You want, a, you you want ch- a heel turn right at the end. You chuckle. But the reality is, is that Reinsdorf has been, we're talking about what we're, the real Bulls now, today's Bulls, Gar Packs. It doesn't surprise me that Reinsdorf would pull something so shrewd where money would be a factor and he would blow it up and not give him a chance at the seventh ring. We've seen what Reinsdorf has done with the White Sox. We've watched his personnel move with today's Bulls. What tells us he wasn't doing that back then? Nothing. This guy is the true villain of this whole docuseries. And Krauss got the brunt of it. I think that it should really talk about how Reinsdorf was let off the hook. See, that's your villain. I have a different villain. John Wozniak. This guy beats Michael Jordan in quarters against the wall and then hits him with the (laughs) shrug. Who has lived to hit the shrug on Jordan? (laughs) Show me one person who's hit the shrug on him. (laughs) That was awesome. Dude, he did it right five feet away from him, stared him dead in the eyes. This man who's been dogging people for 10 episodes, 10 hours of John Wozniak. Don't forget that name. What a what a crew. They showed that whole crew. I like that. That and was it good. Se- yeah, it seemed like they were just all down for just chilling all the time. They had little mini competitions between them. It was always some kind of competition. And that's just MJ, though. Like, he's not comp. If he's not competing in something, I just feel like MJ couldn't have a hand in it. Whether it's throwing quarters against the wall, pinching pennies, mm-hmm. playing poker, blackjack, golfing, whatever it was, like Michael had his hand in it. Like if it meant competing, he was there. Always, anytime, for anything. Well, what do you think about episode 11 going into where some of the guys ended up? and some of the comebacks that happen. Is that worth it, or is that kind of just a bittersweet ending then to even have that in there? Eh, I don't think it's so much worth it. I think I'd rather talk about what could have been. 
because and what did end up happening. Yeah, because there's no reason to think that this team wouldn't have had a chance at one more run. It did really surprise me. I didn't realize that Rodman was older than MJ. But I think you give that team one more year, just one more chance. Maybe they lose, maybe they win. But they had one more run in them. I'm okay with how it ended, though, because it just adds to Jordan's legend of being 6-0 mm. in the finals. I would have hated for him to lose in the finals. But at the same time, I would have loved to see him versus him and Scotty versus Kobe and Shaq. That, that's what we all deserved. But would it have been the greatest series at that point in time? I mean, I no, know Jordan it, it's says a change in the guard, though. Left, but it's a change in the guard. Exactly it, it's, it a true, it's a true change in the guard, just like the Celtics to the Lakers, Lakers to the Bulls. It's the true changing of the guard. And we didn't really get it because Reinsdorf was being cheap. As he always has been. This guy this guy allowed that to end that way because he thought he could do better down the road as far as building the franchise. And I'm sorry, but it's just it's too hard. Look at they have they got lucky with Derek Rose. They got lucky. That wasn't that wasn't supposed to happen. This this franchise has been in shambles. We've had a couple decent teams, the baby bulls, the D Rose era, but for the most part this franchise has been in shambles. We can't get a big free agent to come here because of Reinsdorf. Who wants to come deal with this toxic front office? They couldn't even handle the greatest player of all time. They couldn't even figure that out. So what makes you think they're going to be able to figure out some 28-year-old superstar that hits the open market? It's just not going to happen. There's no, there's no team out there right now who could have let their best player go after winning a championship and lived to tell about it without even offering a chance at them to come back. And, and that whole last-second invitation, I, wouldn't that rub you the wrong way if that was you playing on that team? Yeah. What, I mean, what the hell? How is Kraus going to sit there and say the Bulls could go 82-0 and we're not bringing Phil back? What the hell? What's the point of the game at That's, that point? You're... I thought that was really foolish. I didn't really like how he handled that at all. Where 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 does that benefit the team? And just for the fact of the Bulls to know that from beginning and to turn around and win it all, that just that takes a special type of bond, a special type of team, special type of players to be able to look at it and be like, okay, this this really is gonna be our last year. We have to dig deep and go out and grind it out every day. The media is going to be asking every day, what's up with MJ, this, that, and the other. It's a constant mental mental grind. And so for those players to just get through all that and still end up winning the championship, it just that's a lot of heart. You got to really give it to those guys. They really wanted it. They, they went through a lot to win that champ, last championship. Well, that's all we have for today. Thank you guys for tuning in to Windy City Bro Pen. We're going to have a giveaway here. We're going to give away a Devin Hester bobblehead. So go ahead, like the post that we're going to have. We're going to ask you to share it as well. Then just go ahead and follow us on Spotify. Just go ahead and give us a little follow. You do all three of these things for one of the next two of our podcasts, and you'll be in the hopper for a Devin Hester bobblehead. Pretty exciting stuff. FYI, this will be on Facebook. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Jim and myself, thank you for joining Windy City Bropen.